Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. I'm joined by the only person I wanted to talk to today. Oh, God. Armani Buckets. Listen, my friend, you had predicted Wednesday to be doomsday for the Los Angeles Lakers, and you were right. Listen, if they lost that game, I, I would have basically mailed in the season. Not that they could not have been the uh, 10 seed or in the play-in tournament, but listen, you they had to find a way to respond. And um, and they certainly did, my friend. Right now, they sit as the 8 seed. If they beat Minnesota... Tomorrow, they have sole possession of the seven seed, would be about a game behind of the six seed. They're on their way up. Armani Buckets, your thoughts on the Los Angeles Lakers? Yeah, it is a judgment day for me because I was very confident that we were going to see a repeat of Sunday, and it just did not happen. The beginning of that game, I thought it was about to be New Orleans 2.0 with the way that the Lakers came out and set the tone. And man, the biggest takeaway for me from that game is just how healthy LeBron James looks. I don't know who his foot doctor was, but clearly <laughs> the LeBron James of feet needs more business because that man did miracles on LeBron's foot. The guy was looking like a freaking bowling ball in transition. Yeah. Exactly what we saw earlier in the season. And again, I'm not going to get too ahead of myself because there was one thing that I saw from the Lakers that still kind of concerns me, but I wanted to start with the praise before we get into the concern. <laughs> all right. Do you want to hear what the concern is? Yes, yes. Let's let's hear from the concern because we'll have plenty of time to talk about the praise. Um, because here's the thing, and we've 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 talked about this a lot. And the biggest concern that you have, I think, long term, big, big, big picture, is this, is this team can't stay consistently healthy. But it's a unique situation where if big if, but if they're healthy, we have seen from time to time what they can do. And so they were fully healthy last night for the first time. In quite some time, um, D'Angelo Russell, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. I forgot the stat, like when the last time all three of those guys started a game. It, it definitely has not been too many. Um, it, did that look good? Uh, did that look good? So, listen, there's a lot of positives, but Armani Buckets, I can always uh, count on you for the negatives. What were the negatives with the Lakers? It's not even a negative per se. It's just... Okay, so Sunday, Zach Levine was basically getting to the basket whenever he wanted. DeMar DeRozan was doing a lot of stuff. The, the switch in the game plan with the Lakers was every time that they got a screen, those two, they just double teamed and blitzed the screen. The reason why I think that's a little bit of a concern is because that typically leaves an open shooter every time. 
In this case, the Bulls open shooters were in the corners, Patrick Williams and Patrick Beverly, who shot a combined 0 for 10 from three. Now, if you're going to double team, you know you're sacrificing something. If the guys can't shoot, then it's a good gamble. By the way, if you want to talk about the Lakers as being a serious threat, if you play Phoenix, you're going to double team Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. That's going to leave guys like Torrey Craig and Josh Okogie open, which, by the way, that's a good strategy. So if that strategy is employed again against other teams like similar to the Bulls, Maybe it works. I'm just saying, though, there are going to be days where those guys from the corners that you consistently let shoot are going to have their days. Yeah, and, that's the risk you take. And it, I, I totally agree. And we, we, we really touched on this, how this road trip uh, will define their season. And I think as big as last night's win against Chicago was, the game tomorrow night against Minnesota, effectively for sole possession of number seven seed, that's the, the that's the next big big game. And by the way, it's a big game from this standpoint. And we've joked about this for a year plus now. If the Lakers beat Minnesota, not only do they have sole possession of the number seven seed, which would give them home court advantage for that seven versus eight seed matchup, but they would be above five hundred for the first time in like four hundred, five hundred days, something crazy like that. Again, they've. They've been 500. They are 500 today. They were 500 a couple of days ago. They have not yet been able to go above 500. So for the first time in well over 400 days, maybe 500 days, uh, they would be above 500. So that's why this road trip is big, because not only do you have that game, then you follow that up against Houston, a game that they should win. I know that they lost previously, but these are moments and I was thinking of our friend, Brandon, while I'm watching the game last night. It's like, yeah, these are moments where you're like, listen, we, we got to come into Chicago, right? Like after what happened on Sunday and win by, you know, more than 10 points. And they were up by 17 points. And it, 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 was, um, it was a good performance by them. And then, and then now you got to follow that up with a win against the Timberwolves. And then you got to follow that up with a win against Houston, Utah, you win those games, which are games that they're supposed to win and games that, according to Circus Sports, they are favored to win. Now you're talking about kind of really solidifying yourself as the number seven seed and perhaps in contention for a six seed. Again, key for those two things. Six seed, you're not even in the play-in tournament. You're just in the playoffs. That's great. The seven seed, you have home court advantage for that one play-in game. And if you win, you advance, you're in the playoffs. If you lose, you're not done. So, I mean, that's why, and again, we teased Brandon because, listen, from my standpoint, I'm just wanting them to get into this play-in tournament. He's like, no, 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 Like, you got to be the seven seed. You got to be the eight seed. I'm like, of course, yes, that's, that would be ideal. But they really have done that. As you look at the schedule, Armani Buckets, again, Minnesota, big, big game tomorrow. Houston, Utah, then they come home for another technical, technically a road game against the Clippers, although, you know, listen, they share the same building. How does this, how does this road trip play out for them? The Minnesota game, I have no feel for. And you yeah. said that. Apparently, Circa has them as favorites. Is that correct? Do you do you have a line? I think I think it's a pick them, but, but as you okay. break it down, I'll get you the exact number. So Minnesota just had a crucial three-game road trip of their own. 
in Golden State, they pulled out a win, and we know what the Warriors have done at home. In Sacramento, on a night where the Kings could have clinched the playoff spot in front of their home crowd, they won, and then last night they lose to Kevin Durant and the Suns. There was a very interesting story that I heard on Brian Windhorst's podcast about Minnesota. Mark Spears was in the building in Sacramento, ready to interview the Kings players after the game. And basically, Rudy Gobert sees Mark Spears in the tunnel, and he asks Mark Spears, why the fancy suit? What's the special occasion? And Mark Spears tells him, well, the Kings can clinch, yada, yada. And Rudy goes, we're winning tonight. And <laughs> he, walks, he walks away. He doesn't, he, he mic drops Mark Spears. Yeah. So with that being said, the Timberwolves this season, I know that their record is, you know, one game above 500. They have a swag to them. And that's why I can't get a feel for this game because this will be the biggest game for both of their seasons. And it's in Minnesota. We know what, you know, Carl Anthony Towns has done since he's come back from injury. Anthony Edwards, they have a lot of depth. And with the Lakers this game, I think the most important thing is they need their depth to produce. Guys like Dennis Schroeder, guys like Reeves, Hachimura, Wenyan Gabriel, because I think that's what it's ultimately going to come down to. Uh, so quick update. This, this, this game has fluctuated from a pick It is now currently at Circus Sports. Minnesota Timberwolves are favored by one. But, you know, when you're okay. talking about a one-point uh, spread, it's basically a pick Uh The Minnesota Timberwolves, by the way, have not covered – the point spread in six of the last 10 games. And again, when you talk about a one point uh, spread, that's almost a pick em game. So uh, a significant game for both of them, clearly, because they're both basically vying for that number seven seed. Listen, if you're the Lakers, yes, after everything you've been through for the last year and a half, where you missed the playoffs a year ago, missed the play in playoffs, the whole thing below 500. And by the way, I want to give you your flowers on this one respect because I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I think I'm feeling very confident that I'm going to win our bet. And our bet was that the Lakers would be a play-in tournament team. And I just, again, yes, a part of me is a myopic Lakers fan who can't foresee us, but, you know, being below 500 and not being a top 10 team. You were right. For the first 60, 60 games of the season, you were 100% right. They were a below 500 team that was not in the top 10 and and if that if that team had continued playing, if Rapalinka did not do a thing, they would have finished below five hundred and not on the top ten. What happened, obviously, was and good for me and good for fans of the Lakers is they did make the necessary moves for them to improve, for them to turn around their season, and for them to, I believe, when the season is done be above 500 and be not in the just in the top 10. I, I think that they may finish as the number seven seed. Um, so I think it's sort of like a two-part thing. You were right about the team that began the season. You were right about the team that played the first 60 games of the season. You have not been totally all in with that. I guess my like expectations have been so low that I'm so happy that this team is actually playing well. They're they're playing confidently. They know their roles. Again, they're going to be in the play-in tournament. I am confident that they are going to be in the playoffs. I guess your thoughts on this team, because again, you were right about the, the, the team last year, and you were right about the team this year for the first 60 games. I really like the moves that they made, and I know the bar has been low, but I think this is a team, and we'll see how they play out this season, that... If you give them a full off season, 
and what happens in the offseason? Like you, you do those trips to Vegas or San Diego or whatnot. You give them a full training camp. You give them a full preseason. You give them a full first half of the season to still continue to find themselves. This team has a chance to, I don't know how wide open the West will continue to be, but can contend. My biggest fear with this team is the thing that we talked about at the beginning of the show. It's something that people are not discussing. It's their defense. And most specifically, it's individual. When you play a guy, and I know what you're going to say, nobody can stop Kevin Durant. Nobody can stop Devin Booker. And you're not wrong at all. But can you at least mitigate the damage? When they played Dallas, Dallas had one guy that could put the ball in the basket, Kyrie Irving. And he had a super efficient night. All you really need to do in that point is just hold them to a 50% shooting night or lower, but they couldn't do it. And again, against like teams like the Bulls on Sunday. So my concern with them is do they need to double team those guys to stop them? Because if you do need to double team, as we talked about, it leaves your defense at a disadvantage. Somebody's going to be wide open. Um, But with LeBron and Davis playing like that, I mean, how can you count them out? How like, you, we all see what LeBron James is still capable of. I don't know if he does it every night where he brings the energy and the swagger. I love what he did to the to the Bulls bench last night where he walked over and basically said that none of them can guard him, pointing at each one of them. I mean, first of all, by the way, there are so many people that if Michael Jordan did that, and I'm a Michael Jordan guy myself being a Bulls fan, they would be like, oh my goodness, look at this heroic male figure (laughs) when lebron does it it gets brushed under the rug like i thought that him setting the tone early there was a moment in the first quarter actually when pat bev attacked the rim and you could hear it on the tv where where lebron was like oh hell no and it was just like like those things matter so much to the psyche of a team because man when your leader is talking smack like that and backing it up it fires everybody up it really does we talked a lot about Pat Bev before the game last night. Uh, do you have a stat line in front of you? If you don't, well, he, I- was, <laughs> he was 0 for 5, right? And <laughs> yeah. uh, let me get the minutes and all the other stuff. The thing about Pat Bev is this. I get it. He's not, yeah. I mean, he does set a culture, but he is not a, an effective basketball player at this no. point in his career. No. Last year, he was an effective basketball player. Something happened where maybe it's just one year older. But he hasn't really brought it, and I'm glad that Austin Reeves hit him with that because Pat Bev, honestly, he you know he gives it out a lot, but it was actually refreshing to see someone give it back for once. <laughs> you talked about this when this trade went down, and I didn't love the trade only because I've only I've always been high on Taylor Horton Tucker, and by the way, the Lakers scouting department, and I know Taylor Horton Tucker was a clutch guy, but uh, they've really hit on all their late picks. Generally speaking, late first, second round guys, guys who were not drafted. I mean, this scouting department, A, picks guys who've helped this team extremely, and also guys where if they need to make a trade, they have valuable young players. Um you have the stat line, I think, in front of you. Taylor Horton Tucker continues to ball out. <laughs> um, I, I mean, here's the thing. He's not putting up that stat line with the Lakers. That being said, like, when you look back at that trade, knowing, obviously, the Pat Bev situation didn't work out, 
Here's my thing. Like, like I think at some point, Taylor Horton Tucker had to leave for him to to find himself. Your thoughts on THT? Yeah, he's one of those guys that he needs the basketball in his hands. And we saw this last night again. Another former Laker, Russell Westbrook. Those guys... I would, if I was a Laker fan, I would just feel happy for them and yeah. glad that they're they're doing well. But also understanding that those are guys that need the basketball in their hands to be successful. And if you're trying to compete and contend, I don't think that you can afford to give them the basketball as much as they're going to need it to get their rhythm. Those are guys that, again, Taylor Horton Tucker. Kudos to him. He's excelling in Utah. By the way. Looking back, though, that trade, it, it's going to go down as a loss because you basically turned THT into Mo Bamba. And maybe THT could have done this with the second unit on the Lakers and just had the ball a lot in his hands. But Austin Reeves needs the ball, too. Other guys need the ball to develop. I'm not, like, too mad about that. But, yeah, it just it is kind of – it stings a little bit when you see, oh, my God, he's putting up 40 and <laughs> – when he was a Laker, like, where was this, you know? Exactly. You turn him into Mo Bamba, who's in street clothes. But that's the one thing I also think when Clipper fans, and rightfully so, by the way, because Shea Gilders Alexander is not just a good player, you know, could be top 10 player in the league. The numbers he's putting up are tremendous. He's not doing that on a team with Kawhi and Paul George. Now, I think we maybe have, would have seen glimpses of that, right? Because of the load management situation. Like, we, um, there's a lot of times that we don't see those guys, or there's a lot of times that one of those guys are out. But I think a guy like Ashe, for example, he had to go to the Thunder for him to get the opportunity to showcase what, what he can do. So, but still, I think if the Clippers, for example, um, and again, they're playing well, I think they'll be in that five. See, but that four or five matchup, we, we've, we've talked about it before with the Suns and the Clippers, the, the, the two thing, two teams, I think, have a real shot to come out of the West playing in the first round. Um, if the Clippers, for example, lose in the first round, and again, Paul George will be out for the rest of the regular season and for the first round series, which would obviously be terrible when you're going up against the Suns. If this continues to play out, you know, if they miss out, if if they lose in the first round and and just don't find a way to get over that hump, and Shea Gildress Alexander continues to have this career uh, tra trajectory, I mean, it's hard not to look back at that trade because it wasn't just Shea. Shea was the one guy in that trade, by the way. When I saw that trade go down, I said, that is a ton of first-round picks. Did they have to give up Shea? Like, like, would the Thunder have said, and I forgot the exact number, we can pull it up, but I was like, you know, would they have said no to a haul of, uh, you know, a combination of 10 first-round picks and pick swaps because of Shea? Maybe I, I, would have a, I would have had a hard time thinking that Sam Presti would have said no. Yeah, it's going to go down as, you know, one of the most regarded trades in history, especially if uh, the Clippers don't end up winning a title here. I mean, you, you, it's hard for me to criticize the Clippers for it just because, you know, it was a package deal, Kawhi and Paul George. And at the time, I know I didn't we didn't know each other at the time, but I think everybody that, you know, I heard of or I knew was all on board the Clippers doing it because yeah. man, you put those two wings together, you would think that you win at least one. I'm still on board, by the way. I mean, I, I, yeah. like, when I when I look back at that, 
they had to make that deal. And again, it's it's not what really happened, but their their thought process is we don't get Kawhi without Paul George. So in their mind, and the Thunder helped out the most with this, is they basically traded for Kawhi plus Paul George, even though you know Kawhi was not a part of that deal. Do you remember uh, Shea's rookie season when they played the Warriors in round yes. one and he had that first half explosion? That, I mean, there, there probably weren't glimpses of what he's become, but there were glimpses of something special. So you knew that it was a risk, and I completely agree with you, Arash. I don't understand why they couldn't maybe package somebody else in that spot, but, you know, that's you're taking a risk of then you never have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. And, for an organization that's never won, never been to the NBA Finals, I get it. I get the risk. It's just unfortunate for them that we haven't seen them, I guess, fully healthy and fully able to to really contend for it. But hopefully, at some point this year, although it looks unlikely, hopefully we get Paul George back and we get to see them give it one, maybe one final yeah. swing at the, at the title. And listen, this is not that this is their goal, but it, it is still amazing to me that they found a way into the Western Conference Finals when Kawhi goes down, and that series is uh, 2-2 against Utah. So amazing for Paul George, amazing for the Clippers to get to the first ever Conference Finals, but obviously that's not the goal. They want to win the West, they want to get to the Finals, and they want to win the whole thing. All right, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, we will be joined by the legend himself, Sonny Vaccaro, the man who signed Michael Jordan to Nike. When we come back on the Mightier 1090 is for the California, the bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas in the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline 310-400-0340. All right, we're going to go out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline and join someone that I've been looking forward to talking to for quite some time, Sonny Vaccaro. Sonny, how are you? Oh, I'm probably much better off than the two of you. I'll tell you why. Yes. I'm floating on a cloud. That's <laughs> <laughs> so pretty good. Sonny, I had such a great time. I'm so familiar with the story because I love Nike. I love Michael Jordan. I love what you've done for the game. So I didn't know what to expect coming into the uh, premiere of the film. It is amazing. And when I tell people that, like, even if they're not sports fans and they don't know anything about the story, it actually helps. How did this story come to be? It's one of the great uh, stories in basketball, um, you know, shoes, obviously. How did this movie come to be? By accident. 
<laughs> I had no idea the movie was even being thought of. I knew the people, John Weinbach did a, a feature on me called Soul Man uh, <clears throat> for ESPN uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And I knew John and uh, he worked for Mandalay Bay at the time and he went along. But there was a young writer named Alex Conroy who was an intern, uh, a paid intern, just graduated from Southern California that used to go around editing all the, there were 60 hours of, of uh, tape uh, on the Soul Man thing because it lasted five years. And he watched everything about me and, and the Soul Man thing, which is all about my life. And most of it was connected starts and, you know, with Nike. And uh, he had all this thing. Then he, then I did a three, three and a half hour uh, interview for The Last Dance um, with the Michael, one of the great, you know, of, of all time. And I wasn't part of it. I really wasn't a, a major part of it. Uh, that's what the editor did. And it was fine. It had nothing to do with anything other than I wasn't. But young, uh, you know, Alex uh, put the whole thing together and he fell in love with the theory of Air Jordan. And he wrote a script. And the script ended up being this. It got to Mandalay Bay, but it was Skydance now. Skydance had brought Mandalay Bay. And, uh, you know, Peter Goober was the owner of both, and Peter's a very successful man. They brought me down two weeks before the the the, the, uh, the uh, Super Bowl when it was in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. Yeah. The first time I had met everybody, they brought 15 people. My wife and I had been, you know, went there. Uh, Mr. Goober sat down and uh, he explained to me what was happening. I had nothing to do with the script. I had nothing to do with the thought. I didn't really know exactly what they were doing until they invited me to. He invited me to his home. Now I'm sitting down with all these people that. The, movie, the, the script has started already. I mean, everyone, they're working on Ben and, you know, and Matt already, all these people. Pam and I had no idea. We had an idea. Something was happening. And Mr. Goober turns to me and says, would like you involved with the movie, but you have really no say over the movie, but you need your expertise. That's basically what. So our, that's how it started. Innocently, I had no idea. From there, we figured out a way that we would work it, that, you know, Pam and I would, cooperate for the next year and everything I did. I started doing Zooms uh, with Matt because I had not met Matt yet. Uh, the first time was an hour and a half and you know, I'm seeing the same little thing here and he's there in Los Angeles and he starts asking me about my life and this story, the, the life with George, not yeah. my life, the life. <laughs> he's going back. And, 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 uh, and you know, to, Matt was very in tune to it. He, in fact, I don't know if you know, he, 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 was brought up five and a half miles from where Patrick Ewing was born in Boston, oh. right outside of Boston. He went to Ridge Latin Ridge Lakes High School where Patrick played. So, but he was fifteen years younger than Patrick, obviously. So he was, you know, still like in junior high, I imagine. So he was a fan. He knew who I was. I mean, because of the afterlife, but not in nineteen eighty four. He may not have been born in eighty four yet, or was just a child. So my, that's my point. And we went over everything. And the agreement that I made that I would do everything I could to help Matt and Ben and, and you know, Peter to get this story as right as it can be according to my eyes. So to take you there and begin our show with, that's I I was a, a consultant. I imagine you know <laughs> I didn't change. What I did was answer questions, and they did what they wanted to do, and then we see what the final two hours ended up with. So your turn. You saw the vision for what the basketball shoes would become, where it's not just, you know, we're going to put our shoe on a player. We want to embody 
what this personality of this player is. And obviously, the, the beautiful thing about this story, and if people are not familiar with it, at that point in time, Nike was third, right? Uh, Sonny, third. it was Converse, it was Adidas, right? Yeah. Adidas. Converse, Adidas. In the shoe, in the shoe that your mother and dad probably bought you that we don't know of. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, but, but what were you? What Nike was? I was hired in '78 and '79 by Phil to put the shoes on the college coaches to put them on the college team so the kids would wear it. So it was the same theory I had a hundred years later. It got it was a way Sonny could get pay the, the athletes in a sense. I didn't give a damn who it was. I wanted to get shoes. That's what Phil wanted me to do, to sell the shoes. So I had no no clue about the pro internet. I was invited to a meeting where they were going to make the biggest decision of their life, and they were in third or fourth or fifth place. Makes no difference because I don't believe if Michael came, we would have we would have been talking about this, and Nike probably would have done well because Phil's a bright man. Everything would have turned out good, I, 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 I believe, because of his own genius. But it wouldn't have turned degree. It wouldn't have turned to this degree, and you, we wouldn't have created a legend and a goat, not as a great player as Michael Jordan ended up being, being the great marketer of all time. And Nike could never be overcome in our lifetimes. They are now the alpha male of that industry. There was this amazing moment in the film where Michael Jordan's signature shot in college. We've all seen it, you know, the game-winning shot against when he was in college at North Carolina. But there's this scene where you replay that and you zoom in on how he is, and he's just so relaxed, so relaxed, and he hits the shot, and that was the moment he wanted. And in that moment, Sonny, you saw this is not just a player, this is not just a top three pick, this is a superstar. What did you see there? I saw something that broke my heart. I was at the game. Pam and I were at that game. They were playing Georgetown for the national championship. Okay. Georgetown and UNLV at that time were my – I knew John and I knew Jerry Tarkany better and I knew all the other coaches, but I obviously adored the other coaches. They wore Nike shoes. We had 70-some teams at that time. I was at the game. The game's almost over. It's now, you know, tied, losing by one, close all damn day. And Michael Jordan hits the shot. God is my judge. Audience, listen to this. And I'll say it again and again until I die. I didn't give a darn about Michael Jordan. I was pissed off that Michael Jordan made the shot. What stayed in my mind was he made the shot. When the game's over, let me just tell the audience, I never talked to Mike Jordan You know, at, at any time up until then. I didn't care about North Carolina up until then. I didn't, I didn't know Dean Smith. Okay, he broke my heart. Two years have now passed. Never in my wildest dreams at that time did I ever think Nike was going to be at a point where we're, we're going to be big enough to get a, a, a marketing you know, athlete because it's never been done before. Magic was there and Larry Bird and all those guys prior to them. They got deals with shoe companies, but they, they just wore their shoe. They put them on the back of Sports Illustrated or something like that. That was the marketing part. I remembered the shot in my mind. Never mentioned his name. I, I would bet a dime on that. For the, until they asked me that question. Strasser comes to me. There are five people in the room, plus me, that he wanted us to vote on who we should, who Nike should invest their money in. Swear to God Almighty. For some reason, some strange quirk fate, I was the last guy. I was the only one that, I, all five of those guys before me were closer to Nike than I was. I didn't stay at Nike. I didn't live there like the movie stays 24 hours a day. I, used to, I was a transient employee. Yeah. So he asked me that question, 
And for what reason? Because one second before he asked me that question, I, Michael Jordan was not on my mind. Then he, he calls me and I said, give it to the kid. He said, what do you mean? What kid? Give it to the Jordan kid of North Carolina. And that changed the world. Everyone in that room, including Rob Strauss at that time, thought I was crazy. He was on the board, but as you know, there were four Hall of Fame players on that board. Yeah. You know, and one of them being Charles Barkley, John Stockton, Michael, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Kim Elijah one, pretty goddamn good, you know. <laughs> right? And whatever fate is, what is karma, whatever it is, you know, magical in our lives that we all think so, that day changed the world. And Rob Strasser and Phil Knight eventually said yes to it, changed the world. One of the beautiful things about the story is you see the beginning stages of this company and Phil has the principles of the company on the board. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, they watch Shark Tank and they, and they watch these film studying and they want to like, what is the next big company? What was it like being on the ground floor, the beginning stages of a startup that becomes this multi-billion dollar company? You know what? Great question. No one give a damn because you, everyone in the world at that time, especially America, thought the only company in the world was Converse. Mm -hmm. Converse tennis shoe, they were playing tennis, they were playing basketball, they were playing, you know, going shopping. That's, that was the way it was in the 60s and 70s. That's what I, a tennis shoe was the all everything shoe, right? And then Adidas in Europe owned the, that world. Adidas and the two brothers, everyone knows the story. They were classy. They, they had leather. They had a lot of things that American people didn't have. That's the only two, if you had somebody a quiz, I'll bet you dined a donut, the only two things that era kids like me would have said would have been Converse or Adidas. Jordan never, you know, I used to call Nike Nikki. I didn't know how to <laughs> that, I swear to God, that, that's a true story. So to say we are in competition, there was no competition. It was a dealer's or converse to make your choice from. There was no pro kids and the other thing. They didn't know that. The biggest miracle in the world that Michael and then later his mother changed the world by going, we were a big upset. In Vegas, is, you know, you guys know I gamble a little bit. My brother and all that stuff. <laughs> Las Vegas. It was, was 100,000 to one that that, would, that event was going to happen. But life changed when I first met Michael Tony Romas. The three and a half Three and a half months it took me to, you know, and, and Nike to sign them. You know, th then it was, uh, well, we know what it is. You just said the greatest company in the world. Yeah, Sonny, it is an honor to be talking to you today. I cannot tell you. I've, I've watched every single thing that has to do with you. I'm, I'm so blessed to, to, for you to even be in our presence. Um, I was wondering, in the, in the movie air, it looks like um, Michael's parents are ridiculously influential when it came to the decision of being signed on. Um, is that an accurate, uh, can, can we say that that was, that was pretty accurate? It was not, it's not only accurate, young lady. It's the absolute truth. I didn't know, obviously I didn't know Dolores or James prior to meeting Michael at the, the Tony Romas. But that day there was a small inkling as we are leaving in hugging, as my wife would, would have been all my, all my life, as hugging the, the people I'm with. Michael walks out and said, you know, you know I, I'm not, you know, Mr. Vaccaro, I want to go with Adidas. I mean, basically, he said, you know, my parents, you know, he, somehow he involved his parents in our, la our first and, you know, I thought maybe the last conversation. I knew then, my, and I don't know how I knew, so don't ask me to waste five more minutes of our time. I didn't <laughs> know. But after that first meeting, then I met him again with David Falk and Rob Strasser 
to talk deeper because the Olympic Games were in LA in 1984. So we had this meeting with Falk, Rob, and myself at, at the Hermitage Hotel in Beverly Hills. And then we knew that maybe money is going to be involved. But never talk about the signature shoe and the, all that stuff. That was the first day. Why did I call? Because I remember the last little hug from Michael was my parents were really involved in my wife or my, my life at that time. Okay. My thing to Strasser, we made it, we, we had this famous thing. It's in there, you know, with, with he and I arguing all that stuff. Falk I'm talking about. But my psychological part was I told Rob and I told Phil, I said, how the heck do I, meet, I got to meet the family. And they said, you figure out how you meet the, met the family, you know, meet the family. And after phone calls, just want to tell you, that was, that was all phone calls. I didn't know Dolores. I didn't know James. Okay, We had a connection, which later became a lifelong connection. Okay, But then she took the call, and I built up a relationship. And everything goes, evolves like you know the, the movie says, sort of. I got close to the parents. And the, the harder it was for the public and even David Falk to think, I'm going to sign you know, Michael, the easier it became because Michael wasn't going to make this thing. I mean, he loved Adidas for what a young person would love him for, right? He loved the outfit. He did. He liked the sweatsuits. He brought up the sweatsuits. That, I remember, <laughs> that's still in the movie, but I remember when I saw a cut. Michael liked, loved those they were beautiful sweatsuits. Adidas was ahead of everybody's style. There's no question about that. And I stuck with Dolores and James. And then when I finally got to meet them in person, the rest happened. Though That last part of that movie, when... Viola takes over the movie. I mean, yeah. Like, she is, yeah, she's an incredible actress. Absolutely. I honestly believe it wasn't acting that she was doing. He just yeah. enjoyed Mrs. Jordan in a different way because Bill Knight knew, Rob Strauss knew, and I knew a little earlier, not as deep as that, the meeting in, uh, the meeting in Oregon. No, not. Those words come out of her mouth, you know. So I knew that the one opening wasn't, I never saw Michael again to Oregon, just so you're mm. understand. I didn't see him from Tony Ramos to they came to Oregon. So <laughs> the meeting at the, at the, you know, the Olympic games down on the beach there, that, that was all different. All the other meetings, Michael was never there. I didn't <laughs> see him again, but Mrs. Jordan did it. She I love it. it. I love it. That's awesome. You see, it's amazing. But Mr. Jordan, let me just say this if I can, real quick. Yeah, yeah. When they were able, when he did this over, no one knew what the hell was yet. Nike was going to be happy if we sold ten shoes, because last year we sold five shoes and you know, you know, other shoes other than the Jordan thing. But when we started marketing, when Rob and Peter and the, and the marketing department, when Spike Lee became involved, when you know, I love Ella, when Nike then started becoming bigger, also through their commercials, no one knew what the hell you look like and all that. Yeah. Really didn't know what Michael Shoe looked like. That's what did it. Michael Jordan opened to the world in 1984 to the athletes that someday you won't just be an employee of the company that gives you a contract. You'll be part of it. See, no one went, no one's talking about that today, especially today where up, our world's crazy, right? Yeah. Michael opened the doors. Even LeBron did not get a piece of it when he signed, he got a hundred million dollars, which is a goddamn good piece. But I'm sorry, but that's not, no worries. not get a point. Michael Jordan was the greatest marketer in the world, and he will be remembered more for allowing the athlete 
and making a signature shoe or putting the power into the athletes department than he is one of the greatest players that ever lived and scoring points and winning seven championships because what he did by opening up a new venue was a whole way to earn yeah. for the athletes. There was a predecessor to NIL. The college kids finally got a thousand years later. Jordan did that. Sonny, last question for you. We are on the air in Las Vegas. Vegas is seen briefly at the beginning of the movie. I was just hanging out with Jimmy at the oh. South Point in Las Vegas, a legend, of course, as you know, your brother. Um, what Vegas has become, I think it's amazing. For the first time ever, they had a West Regional there. In 2028, they'll have the Final Four there. And I kept thinking, what would Shark think? What would the Jerry Tarkinia think that the NCAA has finally embraced Las Vegas? Well, let me let me say this, okay? That to me is like one of those ten most, most important things in my life that happened because for all those years, I'm not a fan of the NCAA. So I know we're on a time limit right now, okay? That shows you how hypocritical they are. When I used to run my big time tournament, my events, and and, there, and Tark was obviously the man of the town. He, he really was. I wasn't allowed to put the teams in hotels that had gambling. They had to stay in Motel 6. They had to do this. They had to do that. So we see now, all these years later, not only are they allowing the team to play there, they want the team. They're going to bring the NCAA finals. These big hypocrites. These <laughs> big, there's more gambling going on today than there was the thousands of years before there was a, you know, a utopia called Las Vegas. Okay, so I'm saying to you, just like a lot of things in our country, it took them, it took them eternity to do. But there have been six or seven presidents of the NCAA that blasphemed, that screamed at, and they screamed at me, they screamed at Tark. Tark, Tark opened that door. You, everybody knows that. <laughs> he, he made Vegas human by his own quirks. That's it. He did. He, he was Jerry Tarkani with the little short slave, and he, he looked like he was on the street somewhere, right? Tark was as smart as they had. But to, to say this, I'm very happy now. I'm happy that the men and the women are having the tournaments because Las Vegas is and has been. The only point difference, everybody knew in the 50s and 40s when they first started, everyone saw good fellows and bad fellows and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, and all the movies. But you know what? Isn't it interesting? We got the tabernacle of all the churches there. We got all the good people there. We're all celebrating in Las Vegas. And it makes me happy. But it makes me sad for all the people who were punished because it was a sin to come to Las Vegas and play basketball. I have to say that. No, so. it's 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 great, and you were well, well, and you have been your entire life well ahead of the curve here. And I just can't recommend this movie enough. Uh, you know, by the way, perfect timing coming out right after the Final Four in Houston. Uh, Sonny, you're the best. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, this has been such a highlight for us. So that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing. Currency chasing worldwide through the hard times. Worrying faces shed tears as we bury brothers close to heart. What was a friend now a ghost in the dark? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.